0: All right, well, we get to finish our series in First Peter this morning. So if you're joining us for the first time for the last, I think it's about about 14 weeks, we've been working through the book of First Peter. And so we're going to close that off today. Uh, it's been a great series for me. Hopefully it has been for you as well. And then next week, we'll start uh, just a short Christmas series that we have on worshiping the King. And so uh, Luke's going to kick us off with that. I thought that would be fitting, and I'm sure we'll all be challenged as, as he walks through some you know, ideas and concepts of worship, but more importantly, how we can truly worship the King. And so uh, we're going to be talking about that next week. But for today, we want to go into our regular series on being recruited. We have been recruited out of our mess, our sticky life, our situation, our sinful life, the things we do, maybe for ourselves, our own wants and desires, those types of things, maybe our sticky situation. We've been recruited out of that to make him known, to make Christ known. And so the verse that uh, kind of pulls all that together is 1 Peter 2.9, where it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that darkness is out of our mess, our life of sin, into his marvelous light which we are given when we place our faith in Christ, we have been brought now into a new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have been called out of a messy situation in the darkness and into his marvelous light. The next verse is really important too. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That's our new identity. Before we were living life for ourselves. Now we're God's children and we're living lives for him. We are his children. It's our new identity at one point, we did not receive mercy, but now we have received mercy. God withholding his wrath from us, instead of him dumping his wrath on us, he dumped his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ. And he gives us mercy. So there you have it. That's our new identity. We have been called, or recruited out of our mess to make him known. So, a couple of highlights, a couple of things that we've talked about already is how we're recruited out of our mess to be his people. It called, that's our new identity. Secondly, we've talked about how we're recruited to make him known, one with godlike conduct. talks about holiness and how we're to be set apart, then to everyone in every circumstance. We had a lot of, of points in there in that heading there. And then last week, we talked about how we're recruited to make him known with the help of church leaders, that God has organized and designed a body of Christ, is what he calls it in Scripture, the church. The church family that comes together to and support each other, encourage each other, to help each other along. And he places leadership over that to help guide the church as well. And so he talks about that in the first part of chapter 5. And today we're going to talk about how we're recruited to make him known with humility. In fact, the end of last week, we talked about a verse there, verse 5, where it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that starts us then into verse 6 where, again, we're challenged with this idea of humility. But Before we get there, just to kind of give you an idea of where we're going, a humble recruit is honored in God's hand. That's the big idea for today. A humble recruit, someone who's called by God, is honored in God's hand. I'll kind of let that sink in for a little bit, and we'll be going through it, because you might be saying, well, we're not supposed to be searching and seeking for honor, right? That's not the goal. The goal is to be placed in God's hand, that we put ourselves in God's hand, and then we're going to see in this, this scripture that at the right time, at the proper time, God exalts and lifts us up. But it only happens when we're in his hand. So a humble recruit, one who actually places themselves in God's care, will be honored in God's Hand. That's where we're going. First question What is the best and most reliable path to success? Now, I'm going to s- start with this example first. If you were in high school, okay, some of you go back a few years, some of you maybe are there right now, some of you a few more years. Not to say anything, I have to go back a few more years than maybe some of you. What at that point, when you're in high school, from the time you were in kindergarten, especially today, from the time you were in kindergarten to the time you're in high school, what have you been told is the best and most reliable path to success? Let me ask. Okay, education. What is the typical high schooler thinking when they're a junior and senior in high school? College. What's my next step? Why? Because that's the path to success, right? That's what our world, that's our world, how it's designed, anyhow, in America. We have this pathway to be successful, and the next step after high school is college. And once you hit college, then you're going to open up, and hopefully you, you maybe jump over a few other uh, occupations into a higher paying occupation or something like that. That's typically the answer there. Now, there's some other answers that people come along with, you know. Uh, one is, well, just marry into success. That's like the fastest, easiest way, maybe, right? Um, <laughs> What are some other ones? Anybody else want to give me a shot at some other fast possible ways? What's that? Win the, Win the lottery. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that's true, right? Win the lottery, yeah. Okay. Any other ones like that? Uh, written goal? Written goals. Okay, have goals and then try to try to hit them. And so there along the lines of maybe be a business owner or something along those lines when it comes to money, but when it comes to personal success, which is maybe where you're going, there's some other ways. And so the next question I would ask you is this. What is the best and most reliable path to successful discipleship? We're called to go out and make disciples. Therefore, we need to be be discipled. But then if we're going to go out and make disciples, like Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 28... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's what Jesus says. what did Jesus teach them to observe? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we help people? What's the, the, the best and path, most most reliable excuse me, path to successful discipleship? Well, you got, you know, people will list off usually reading your Bible, prayer being part of a church family, a church. That's absolutely true. But don't skip the step of placing yourself in God's hand. If we think it's all about what we do, we've got it wrong. We have to place ourselves in God's hand. And I think that's what we see as we move into this passage this morning. So we're going to be taking a look at Humble Recruits, 1 Peter 5, 6-14, 6 through 14 how we're called to take our lives and place ourselves in God's hands. And then he's going to take, and hopefully he'll be the one, well, we know he will be the one that takes and transforms and uses us for his own purpose and glory. Well, let's pray. Father, as we think about this morning, we think about your word and the truth that's in it, we ask that you would guide us, that you would direct us. And so we take a moment right now just to humble our hearts, And to say openly to you, Father, we need you to guide our lives. We need to surrender ourselves to you, which is a constant daily reminder for me, I know, and I'm sure for a lot of us here. We are constantly battling to take control of our own lives. So help us today, help us tomorrow, the days and the years ahead, to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, this day is is yours. Every hour, this day is yours. Maybe it needs to be every minute. This minute is yours. Do with me what you will. Let it not be my will, but it be your will that would be done, just as your son prayed. We want to be placed in your hand, because we know that you are a faithful, loving God, and you will guide and direct us the right place at the right time always teach us this morning we pray in jesus name amen all right let's go into the first verse here verse six humble yourselves and in in uh, your parentheses there italicized is a little different translation that is be humbled and i think that's actually uh, represents the greek a little better the idea in, in the Greek language, the original language, is that you're already in a position of humility. And that's exactly the case. As you go back into uh, the, the, the audience that Peter is writing to, you can see that they were in a humble circumstance. They had trials, they had persecutions, they had suffering going on. And so Peter writes to him He says, you're already there, so just humble yourself to God. I think when we see, like a lot of translations say, humble yourselves, like, like we can somehow make ourselves be humbled. But here, the idea is you're already in a humble circumstance, so therefore, let God have control of it. Let him have control of it. Now, when we go back... 2,000 years, you see some of that. And you can go to other parts of our world today and you can see persecution. You can see families that are meeting in homes in fear, wondering if someone's going to come and knock on the door and say, hey, are you worshiping Christ? And if you are, you're going to be put in jail, you're going to be put in prison, or you might possibly die. There are Christians meeting in our world in homes that they will be torn out of their homes and people will light their homes on fire and destroy them. There are Christians, people who are worshiping Christ, who will be tortured for their faith right now. And so, yeah, when we look at those situations, you can say, yeah, you guys humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. What about here in America? We're not really living in that kind of fear, right? Yeah, there might be a little bit of fear that you get a dislike on your Facebook page. I understand that. And that would be crushing, right? What a blow. But we don't live with the fear that somebody's going to come and knock down our door and and pull us out of our own home for worshiping Christ. So how does this apply to us? And here's how I think it works in our culture today. And this is what I think Satan has done in our culture. We live in a very competitive market. And that's kind of the way America was built. Let's compete. Let's drive businesses, make them better. And it's it's worked as far as capitalism goes. And I'm not trying to be anti-capitalist here, okay? But here's also what's happened as a downside. Everybody thinks we ought to be the best, and when we're not the best, they begin to get discouraged and depressed. So we're at the end of college football, right? And I know some of you are mourning this morning because of last night's game. But we're at the end of college football, and already I've heard of some college coaches who have been fired. And there are going to be a group of people who are meeting together after the the football season to determine the fate of other college coaches, right? It's a regular occurrence at the end of it. Why? Because they didn't have a winning season. Is it possible for all colleges to have a winning season? No. But the expectation is that all colleges will. That is a problem isn't it and that is where our society is we're pushing that everybody needs to be on top but not everybody can be on top and so if you don't make it to the top you're pushed down you're oppressed and you feel you feel it and you're you're discouraged I was watching, this is, this is the perfect example. So we're watching the game last night, and at the end, you know, it was a terrible ending, and, and, and Fresno wins. And so Bowen's sitting here, and my son's sitting here watching this, and he's like, Dad, who wants Fresno to win? <laughs> who would be voting or cheering for Fresno? And so I said, Bowen, listen, somewhere in California, there is a little kid your age who is jumping up and down in excitement right now. Because their team won. And he just kind of opened his whole mind to the rest of the world. He's like, he kind of wrestled with that, like, really? And then we had to go through, like, yeah, Bowen, you're not the only kid your age. Okay? And, And open it up even more. And that's the way the world is. But we think, oh, no, it's all about me and my life and my situation right here and right now. And we forget that there's a whole other world around us. Mental illness is on rise. Depression, anxiety is growing. Suicide is growing. There are people going out into our world today that are hurting other people because they're angry, they don't know why, and they're confused, they're frustrated, they're opening, they're going into to crowds of people and just opening gunfire. Because I think the pressure is building and building and we can't all be on top. So if that's where we are and we're living in this society where we're all trying to be to the top and live the dream, right? We're all told that everybody can get their dream. Well, not everybody can get their dream because everybody wants to be on top. That's the dream. But we're all trying to get there and when we begin to get discouraged and beaten down, then we have this question. How do I deal with those feelings, those thoughts, those hurts? And I think that's where this passage comes into play for our society today. Be humbled in our situation under the mighty hand of God. I love this picture. If you want a picture with me, uh, it's a funny way for me to remember it. But but the idea is that we're under God's hand. We're not on top of God's hand like this. I think sometimes that's the way we feel like, okay, God's just going to move us around. But we're actually under him. Like God can just pick us up like a little bobblehead and our feet are usually kicking and screaming, right? As, As he moves us around. But he can move us where he wants us when we place ourselves under his hand. His hand is mighty. His hand is great. So that he may then exalt you at the proper time. So there it is. At some point in time. We want it to be two minutes from now. Maybe it'll be two hours from now. Maybe it'll be two years from now. Maybe 20 years. Or maybe it'll be in heaven. I don't know when the time is, but at the proper time, he exalts. Now, then he goes on. He says, cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares about you. And I'd like to stop and think about that for a moment. He cares for us. He cares for you. He cares for me. Why wouldn't we put our trust in an almighty God who is the most powerful being in all the universe, who has demonstrated his love to us by dying on the cross and rising from the dead, who knows us better than we know ourselves, who knows what's good for us, why wouldn't we place all of our worries and our cares in his care? In his hands, and the answer really is, is because well, we like to be in control, and we have trust issues. We're a do-it-yourself type of nation. We're a do-it-yourself type of people. We want control. So this is a constant tension. In our lives. And I'm sure back then it was a tension too because they were going through suffering and trials and persecutions. And the answer for them was, how can we get out of this? And here Peter writes a letter to him and says, hey, be humbled in this circumstance and trust God through it. Well, that's tough to do, that's hard. It's not a foreign concept. Luke 14.11 says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus said those words. We have to humble ourselves so that we can be lifted high. If we come in and we think to ourselves that we have all the answers, we're almost assured that we're going to be humbled. Pride cometh before fall is another good verse for that. Isaiah 40.31 says this, Those who trust in the Lord, not trusting in yourself, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not become weary, they will walk and not faint. Trust in the Lord. If you do everything by your strength, you're guaranteed to grow tired, but if you do things by God's strength, and you trust in him and wait on him, you actually renew your strength. Cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. Now that means we have to resist the urge to take control ourselves. And that's why he says in verse 8, be sober-minded, be alert, your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now if you take these, and sometimes we do, we take these verses and we put them completely separate in different contexts, but let's keep them together. You're in a situation where you're trying to do things on your own, anxiety is building, building, and a little bit of pride comes with that, right? Like, I can take care of this, I can fix this, I'm going to fix it. Person, I like to fix things. When there's a problem, I want to figure out how to fix it. Sometimes that's the fun of it. That's the game behind it, right? It's the joy sometimes. Like I fixed this, yes. That also brings to the surface our pride. So here he tells us: be sober-minded, be alert. This is the third time he said something similar to this in this in this this whole letter. Be sober-minded. Look for it. Watch for it. Your adversary now, the devil, is prowling around. He's looking for opportunities. He's looking for someone he can devour. What Satan loves is when we take control of our own lives. I think sometimes we think of Satan and we're like, oh, he just wants us to be devil worshipers. No, he doesn't. He doesn't want us to be Satan worshipers. What he wants is for us just to pull our attention off of God, pull off of Christ. If that means put on ourselves, Satan wins. Anything he can do to pull us away from God, he's excited about, he wants, and so he's looking for opportunities to tell us and convince us that we can take our life into our own hands. And so he knows our weaknesses. He knows the very things that will make us anxious. And he often puts them in front of us. Because Satan's already lost you. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're, you're already with, with God. You have eternal life. Everything's great there. But... If he can, in the meantime, discourage you and hurt your witness, it's going to hurt other people's chances of hearing the gospel. And that's when he wins. So he's going to do everything he can to keep us from doing that and discourage us from, from following Christ and giving our hearts to him wholeheartedly. He's looking for opportunities to discourage us and devour us. So resist him, firm in the faith. Much like Goliath, he ran out there, or excuse me, David ran out there after Goliath. He was firm in his faith. He said, Goliath, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Firm in his faith. Knowing then that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Now that's probably not a very true statement for us. In America, we don't have the kind of sufferings out there in the world um, well, the, the, the sufferings that are out there in the world are, are usually far worse than what we're suffering here. Like I said, maybe we, we suffer a little bit of persecution on social media. Maybe we feel like we suffer on Sunday mornings because we have to get up a little bit earlier than the rest of the world. Which, by the way, is kind of on the, the downturn. I think the average a, the person attendance, I don't think that's here, but so, so we're safe to say this, but I think the average attendee goes about 50% of the time, and they're like, oh, we call that good. We can only make it 50% of the time to worship our Creator? That's pretty sad. Like, that's the amount of suffering that we go through. Hopefully it's not suffering. It should be joyous. Only 50%. Those types of things, man. We we ought to be able to give a whole lot more than what we already give. People across the world are, are giving up their lives for Christ. What are we giving up for Christ, I think that should be our our uh, exhortation, maybe from this passage when we look at it. People are experiencing far worse than what we're experiencing. Verse twenty: The God then of all grace, who calls you by His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To Him be dominion forever. Amen. Now, there's another way to word this, and it's kind of interesting in the original language, so I'm going to give you another translation. This is the New American Standard. It says, now, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace. And it puts the emphasis, I think, probably where it belongs, which is after you've suffered. The people there that Peter was writing to were going to suffer for a while. So after they've suffered, the God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory, heaven, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, he brings up a couple words here, perfect to perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish. And the idea is that as we move along in our faith, ultimately, when we are glorified in heaven, we'll be perfected, we'll be confirmed, there's no doubt about it. Uh, You'll be strengthened and established, and all that will be perfected in heaven. But there's also throughout the scriptures... Plenty of evidence that demonstrates that as we live and as we walk upon this life, he is perfecting, confirming, strengthening, and establishing us in the time that we have here on this earth. Take a look at some verses here. Hebrews thirteen five. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied or content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. I will walk with you as you walk along in this life. Or Luke twelve, twenty two to twenty eight it says, Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, about the or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap, they don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add a moment to his life by worrying? If then you are not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider the wildflower, how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin or thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown in the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? That's some promise from God there. He cares about a weed. If he cares about that, he certainly cares about you. Romans eight twenty eight. we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. It doesn't mean that all people will be successful monetarily, successful worldly, but it does mean that God is molding and shaping us and working us for His pleasure to bring glory to Himself through us. He has a purpose and a plan for each one of us in that. And we're called according to His purpose. Great promises that are given to us. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory, I don't know when, and this is the question that comes, when will we get through the suffering? When will life be better? I don't have an answer, a time frame, or anything like that. I can't tell you that, yes, in heaven, life will be wonderful, perfect, absolutely great. While we're on this earth, we continue to press forward, serve God, honor him, Be obedient to him. And for a little while, we're going to suffer. For a little while, we'll have trials. But one day, there will be a time when he will exalt. Verse 12 goes on. It says, Through Silvanus, a faithful brother. This is how he writes. I consider him. Quite possibly the one who actually penned the words or the one who maybe delivered the letter. Not really sure. He says, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. So stand firm in it. There it is again. Stand firm in it. Don't waver. Verse 13, she who is in Babylon, there's some some different ideas here as to who he's talking about. Is it a a person or is it the church? And certainly throughout the New Testament you see uh, the church being referred to as like the bride of Christ. So I think that would fit. The church who is in Babylon. Now, there's two possibilities. It's literally Babylon which was on the decline at the time. Or Babylon for The the Christians who were in Rome, um, well, Rome was much like the Babylon that that Israel would have had for Jerusalem. And so it's thought that a lot of the the Christians referred to Rome as Babylon because of the persecution that the Babylonians had for the Israelites, Rome has on the Christians. So it, it could be that as well. So you could say the church who is in Rome, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark or John Mark, the one who wrote the gospel. My son Mark and Peter would have gotten together at some point and done ministry together, and uh, it appears that, that Peter has a great appreciation for Mark and he says, "Greet one another with a kiss of love." That was their way that they greeted one another, typically not found in our culture today, maybe in a marriage, but that 's about it um, so we we handshake we, we hug, fist bump something along those lines, but uh, uh, we, we greet one another. Uh, with, uh, with one of those, peace to all of you who are in Christ. And that's how he, he finishes off the letter. Now, I think what's important in these last few verses is that Paul, or Peter, excuse me, brings back this idea that all of us are in this together. Stand together. We have other believers in Christ. In fact, if you go back to verse 9, he talks about the same kind of sufferings that are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. He has this idea all throughout this passage here where he says, look, all of us are in it together. We need to stand together. Persecution is growing. Trials are growing. Suffering is growing. And the best way to handle it is, one, be in a relationship with God and put your faith and trust in him and humble yourselves and stand together with other believers. We need to stand together. I hope that's the kind of, of, of church you find here at Involve. That you have a group of people that you can stand together. And my challenge is if if you've gotten to this point, even in your relationship with the church, and you're like, ah, oh, I really struggle with that. My question is, well, what are you doing to help it? Sometimes we can cast stones, we could throw stones at the church, and yet we ourselves are doing very little. To change it. We're called to encourage one another. To build each other up. To love one another. A humble recruit is honored in God's hand. So I'll give you a a story. I think I've told bits and pieces of this story along the way. Um, Hopefully it's not too long. But I tell it as as an example. I think of how all of this comes together. And maybe you can see it. Uh, It can come across a little bit as boasting. I hope it doesn't. I hope it comes across in a way that demonstrates to you how this is possible. So when we first started talking about moving to Idaho, struggled with that whole um, idea of of whether or not this was God's plan or not. And so went to the leadership of the church that I was at at the time and told them, I think this is what God wants us to do. And we started making our plans to move. And so we went ahead and did an official you know, resigning at the church and all of that, started to go through that process. And while we, we came to, to Idaho on one, one uh, I don't know, one trip, and we got to a point where both Rebecca and I were talking it through and we're like, you know, I don't know, this is really what God wants. And we were struggling with it, just, just a lot of tension. And so we kind of came to the point of like, I don't think this is really what God wants us to do. And so I actually called the leadership team and I said, you know, I'd like to get together and talk about the possibility of, of staying on, which would be, you know, a total reversal. And so I go back and I sit down in a leadership meeting with all these guys, this group of guys that I've been doing ministry with for about nine years, and started talking through the plan and what I had hoped to accomplish. And I said, I think we still have a good reputation in this community. I'd like to see if maybe we can help it. And, uh, and at the end of that conversation and the plan that I had, And and by the way, by this point, Rebecca and I were kind of relieved. We're like, "This is—we believe what God wants us to do." The guy, kind of the—I call him the lead ringer. Uh, Is that right? Ringleader. Thank you. Lead ringer. (laughs) (laughs) Ringleader. All right. So I call him the ringleader. Um, uh, He—that's what happens when you're in front of people and your mind gets all jumbled up. See, Uh, the ringleader. uh, He—he—he said no. Just flat out no. I was like, "I'd like to come back." He's like, "No." To go, and then for the next twenty or thirty minutes, I get I got to hear all the things I had done wrong for the last nine years, just kind of dumped on me, like, oh. So at the end of that meeting, I just uh, I didn't didn't say much. I said okay. I stood up and I, I walked out, and then he said as I got close to him, he says, "I want you to know, you brought this on yourself." And then they said, well, well aren't you going to say anything? I'm like, I don't have anything to say. I'm like, well, okay, I'm just going to go. So we made, that was kind of a clear decision, like, okay, God made the decision for us. And I would say it fits this passage where there was a humble circumstance, and God says, you need to be humbled. And I did. You need to be humbled in that circumstance. Now, here is the thing that I had to do after that. I had to preach another four or five messages, I can't remember, before I was, I was gone. The first message I had to preach was about three days later, and I had, of course, the opportunity to get up in front of the whole church and tell them that whole story, right? In fact, I think the leadership was so worried about it that they brought a guy in who had about 30 years, of, 30 or 40 years of experience, and he was in the crowd, and I, I knew him already a little bit, and, and he was one of those that kind of coached churches and pastors along through difficult situations, so I knew he was present in there, and... Uh, And he was there, I think, possibly to stand up and stop if I were to do something like that. It's kind of what I think he was there for. And so I got up and I began to preach a message just like I normally would, go through the whole message. By the end of that message, the leaders got together with that leader. And they had a message, uh, they had a time to get together afterwards, and that guy who had about like I say, 30 or 40 years of experience, he looked at that leadership team and he says, if you guys let that guy go, you're fools. Now, obviously, we left and we came here and planted church. And I can say, honestly, that in that circ- situation, in that circumstance, that what they meant for harm, God meant for good. Just like I think Joseph had with his brothers. But to me, that's, that's where this situation comes about. A humble recruit, someone who does what God wants them to do and is obedient, is honored in God's hands. And that one happened pretty soon after the, the humility. Now, there's still wounds. There's times I'm still kind of licking my wounds through it, you know, a little bit. And, but you know what? I know that when you do what's right, you humble your heart and you do what God wants. It's the right thing. In his time, in his proper time, he exalts that. Maybe on the earth, maybe 20 years from now, maybe it's in heaven, but at his time, he exalts it. So do the right thing. As hard as it may be, as difficult as it may be, as humiliating as it may be, do the right thing. That's what we see at the end of this passage here when he talks to the people in First in Peter and the, the people he's writing to. He says, I know the situation is tough. I know it's difficult. I know there's trials. I know there's suffering. But doing the right thing will bring honor to God, and ultimately God will bring honor to you for doing what's right. Of course, our, our motivation is not to bring honor to ourselves. Our motivation is to bring honor to Christ. But when we do that, somehow God brings honor to us through it. At the proper time, he will exalt you. A couple of thoughts, a couple of challenges to leave you with as we come to a close. One, we have our, our response cards. I want to challenge you if you'd like to. You can respond on these. I want to encourage you to write an answer down. I, I, I pray for you throughout the week. If you write on there, uh, it usually gets to me somehow or another that you've written something on the back. And I can pray for you. So here, identify an area or two of life you find difficult to give control up to God. I would like to pray with you. Pastor Luke would like to pray with you, for you, along with you. As you go through the week, what's an area where, where you are struggling just to give it up to God? For me, it goes back to um, just trusting God with, with everything. I would like to live more stress-free, which means I have to give more of my cares, really all of my cares, over to God. And if you pray for me on a regular basis, please pray that. God, help Pastor Ryan give his cares over to you, cast his cares at your feet. I would appreciate your prayers for that. That is an area where I certainly need to grow more. Because like I say, I am a fixer, I am a do-it-yourself, It brings uh, me great joy when Rebecca says, Ryan, can you fix this? And I'm like, yeah, I can. (laughs) Right? And so that's something I enjoy doing, but I need to give things over to God more. And then here, contact two or three people who have stood by you over the years and do two things. One, thank them for helping you and let them know you're here to return the favor if it's ever needed. This is the standing together part. Okay? Okay? Uh, this is more of an action point for you. This week, you can think about this, two or three people who have helped you along the way. What have you done to thank them? What have you said, man, you know, you helped walk through me. So when I went through my time and, uh, and I, I, you know, I was humbled in that meeting, I had some people that I called right away. Of course, I went to Rebecca and talked to her first. And I called my dad because he's oftentimes the one that gives me the greatest strength in those times. I had some other people that I called and said, this is just what happened. I really appreciate your your prayer, your help, your support through it. Contact two or three people who have stood by you over those years. Thank them for helping you and let them know you're here to return the favor. Hey, if you're in a situation like that, please know you can call me. Please know you can call me and, and pour out your heart and I'll be here to listen. I won't tell you necessarily what to do. I'll just be here to pray for you. Unless maybe they need some guidance right then and there. Those are two things you can do. We want to encourage you to take some time, think about them, respond as we'll play a couple minutes worth of music here. Take some time to respond, think about those things, and then we'll close together.